Let me start with the story, okay? On March 18th, 1967, a long time ago, about three months after the death of the great Walt Disney, a brand new attraction opened up in Disneyland, and it was named Pirates of the Caribbean. On this 15-minute ride, guests would be entertained by carousing pirates, epic battles, and haunted bones. But perhaps what no one ever saw was the possibility that 36 years later, that attraction would be turned in to a massive movie. And the very first movie came out, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, and it became a tremendous success. It brought back kind of a, um, a fandom of the pirate genre. People loved it again. People started talking about how cool pirates were again. And it actually did really, really well. And what happened out of it is it actually spurred two more movies right after it. Two follow-up uh, movies were slated right after that one came out because of how much uh, fandom it came. People really loved the movie, so they slated two more. And over the course of those next two years as that was released, these three movies combined grossed around $2.6 billion worldwide, um, some of them having the biggest openings to date, which have now been surpassed by others, but amazing uh, amounts of money spent on these movies. Well, I'm sure that money had nothing to do with it. Yeah, right. But this summer, they decided to release the fourth installment after those three were done, they decided they were going to release a fourth one. And this one was going to stand on its own. And it had to be big, because check this out. When they very first started setting it up, they paid out $55 million to bring Captain Jack Sparrow, Johnny Depp, back into the movie. $55 million to get him to play this role again. So already, if you figure whatever the movie budget was, a tremendous amount of money put out right off the bat, hoping that this would do well. Well, by most uh, estimates, what you'd have to say is this definitely was a blockbuster. Worldwide, this single film actually grossed about a billion dollars across the board. So lots of money made on it, and uh, a, a lot of people really fell in love with it. Real quick, just as a poll to start our, our message, I think we'll do this every week. How many people saw this movie in theaters already? Good, awesome. You guys who did, you guys will really be able to connect to some stuff I did. You guys who didn't, don't worry. It's not like you're not going to understand this message, because I'll give you some, some backstory. And what we're doing is... We're, pulling a few little pieces out of it. So don't worry, even if you didn't see it, I promise you, you'll get something from this. But probably most of you guys will be thinking, what topic are you going to talk about? This movie about pirates, I mean, what, what are you going to pull from this? Could it be about stealing, piracy, murder, carousing, lust for gold, drinking, perhaps poor bodily hygiene, something that would come from the pirate genre that I could talk about today. Uh, but interestingly enough, as we, we start this movie, um, this is what we see. The movie doesn't revolve around really any of these topics. It's part of it because it's a pirate film. But as the movie starts, we see a whole different focus of the movie, actually. To give you some backstory, okay? The movie starts with Captain Jack Sparrow, the man you saw at the beginning of that preview, and Captain Jack is in England trying to save his, his mate Gibbs from being hung. In the process of all this, he ends up getting arrested by uh, the palace guard. He's taken before the king, and the king basically tells him that he wants him to lead an expedition to find the Fountain of Youth. The reason why the king of England is interested in it is because he heard that the Spanish are going after it, and he couldn't possibly let the Spanish get ahead of him if he's the king of England. So he says, we need to take our own force, and we need to go find it before they do. So there's this race that starts. 
Well, Captain Jack, as he normally is, if you've seen any other movies, he can escape anything, any clutches that, that grasp him, and he miraculously escapes from this, but unfortunately, through a strange series of events and twists, he finds himself on the Queen Anne's Revenge, which just so happens to be the ship of the pirate that all pirates fear, the one and only Blackbeard. And believe it or not, when he finally meets up with Blackbeard, guess where he's going to? to the Fountain of Youth. Apparently, the Fountain of Youth bug bit at this time. And now there's these three separate forces, the Spanish, the English, and Blackbeard, are all racing towards this, this Fountain of Youth at one time. And that's really what the movie focuses on. This is the center theme of all of them rushing to find the Fountain of Youth. Many people, um, many people actually throughout history have believed in this, in this myth, believe it or not. This thought of the fountain of youth isn't something dreamed up by Hollywood, but actually it's something from history. Um, and I, I think it's really interesting that they play off this. Um, obviously on the minds of all these men is mortality. Every person in their life, sooner or later, you're going to come to the point where you realize, I'm not going to be young forever. I'm going to get old, and someday I'm going to pass from this life. And people have thought for, for centuries, is there some way that we could reach eternal life? some way that we could grasp and, and bring youth back into our bodies to continue living for a long time. The fountain of youth is perhaps one of the most common. The idea of thinking about your own death, it's not actually morbid. Believe it or not, um, it, so far in the world, the death t- statistic is actually 100%. So far, everyone who's born ends up dying. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. In fact, actually, if you want a barometer for death, as morbid as this may sound, if you snap your fingers once a second, that's how fast someone dies on planet Earth. Every second, someone's passing from this Earth into the next life. But thinking about it really isn't morbid. In fact, get this, the Bible says it's smart. The Bible says that it's wise. Ecclesiastes 7.4, it actually says this, A wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. I think this is really true. A wise person thinks about the fact that there's only so much time given to them. But see, a fool, they just figure, eh, whatever, and they just laugh it away. He says a wise person, though, they think about it. And people have talked about this miracle cure for aging and death for a long time, the fountain of youth being a really predominant one. And it goes back a long time. Herodotus, an ancient writer, 450 years before Jesus, wrote about these healing waters, the idea of waters that could restore youth, water of life. And actually, the story's been told in many different cultures. If you go to the Far East, you can find stories that talk about uh, the idea of waters that would heal people. If you go to uh, the Asian continent, you'll find stories of waters that will heal you. It's, It's a common theme throughout. Perhaps the most famous, and the one that this movie actually deals with, one that we would know most closely, is actually the story of Juan Ponce de Leon, who was the first governor of Puerto Rico. Perhaps you guys have heard of him, maybe not, but he really made the Fountain of Youth famous because in the 1500s, he went from Puerto Rico to what is modern-day Florida, and he searched for years and years and years for the Fountain of Youth. Some historians say that it's actually a little bit blown out of proportion, that he went there on a, on a search. Other people say that basically he spent the whole rest of his life searching for it, so depending on which is true, somewhere in that range, though, he looked for the Fountain of Youth in Florida. But the big question, I think, um, spurred on by this movie, the central theme is this. Could it be true? Could there really be a source 
that brings youth, a source that brings eternal life. Um, And the idea of this fountain, could it possibly be true? Some people, believe it or not, have spent their entire life looking for this fountain. And some have even looked at the Bible, thinking, well, you know, the Bible is one of these great ancient texts. Perhaps even inside of God's Word, there's an indicator of a true fountain of youth that we could get to. I'll I'll share one with you that some people have actually... uh, Talked out. If you guys have your Bible this morning, it's in John 5. You guys can turn there with me. If you don't, if you don't have a Bible, you want one, we have free Bibles. If you do have a Bible, try to bring it on Sunday morning because it's really good here. So I'm going to read for you uh, the beginning of John 5. Um, I'm going to read you verse 1 through 15. It's this interesting story of Jesus, okay? It says this. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, the pool, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porches. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew that he had been ill for a long time. And he asked, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Pause for a second. What he's talking about is actually, it's kind of a pagan thing that happened at this time. The belief was that these waters in the pool of Bethesda, coming from a nearby, um, like, a temple, basically, a shrine to a different god, that when these porticos would let the water flow in and the water would first start bubbling up, the first person who got into the water would be healed of all their infirmities. It's kind of like an old wives' tale that was passed down there. And this man said, listen, I can't be healed because every single time I think that I'm going to be able to get in there, someone else jumps in ahead of me because I'm crippled. I can't get in. So he's sharing this kind of like his, his detriment of believing that he could get healed here, but he hasn't been able to. So he says this, and I love Jesus' words. Verse 8. I, I love when Jesus talks because it always just knocks you in the face. He says this, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Pause again real quick. I love this because basically all these these Jewish people at the time, they were the ones who loved the law. And you're not supposed to do stuff on the Sabbath. So they yell at this guy, you can't carry that mat. It's the Sabbath. And I like the man's response because it'd be probably what most of ours would be like. I don't care what you like. Some guy just told me to pick up my mat, and now I can walk. So I really don't care what you're saying, because now I can walk. And if he tells me to pick up the mat, if he tells me to do cartwheels, if he told me to jump on one leg, I'm going to do it because this man just healed my legs. Obviously, his response is like, I don't care what you think. It says this. The man replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well. Stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. I really like that. Uh, I, I love that story altogether. But believe it or not, some people, from reading this story, believe that perhaps this source, this, this Bethesda, was a fountain of youth, that people who got in could be healed. And some people, even out of this, actually searched for it, believe it or not. An interesting side note to this, this pool of Bethesda uh, in this region. For years and years and years, historians and non-believers used this story as a means to disprove the Gospel of John. It turns out they could never find this pool of Bethesda. And when they looked, 
It wasn't there. And they said, this proves that John did not write this gospel at the time of Jesus. It was written by a man far after who was unfamiliar with the territory. And obviously this book is a lie, not spoken of truth. For years and years and years, historians said this. But what's awesome is in 1960s, an archaeological dig around this area discovered the Pool of Bethesda sitting exactly where John placed it. During an archaeological dig, they were digging out areas, and they found these strange areas, and after they dug it out and carefully removed all of it, they found this. Pools located right in the description where John had set it, near the Sheep Gate, even with five porticos, as John had described, and coming directly from it, from the temple, indicating that it would have been healing waters. For years and years, people had said, obviously this couldn't be true because it wasn't there. And I love in the 60s, they discover it and they find out John was there. He stood there and he gave intimate knowledge of the fact of what this fountain looked like, proving all the more that John's gospel is trustworthy, that he was standing there and experienced the story for real. Awesome. The reason why this may be so special is this. Because if John was accurate on writing down the description of that fountain, most likely the words that he penned as hearing Jesus and copying them down were accurate as well. And only a few verses after the story, Jesus says these words that I believe we can trust. In John 5.24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into eternal life. He says this, there is a way to eternal life but it's not found in this water that this man keeps looking at. Thinking is going to heal him and change him. He says the way to eternal life comes really simple, and it comes through listening to my message and believing in the God who sent me. That's how eternal life is actually obtained. But this idea of, of, of a holy water, of a healing water, is actually kind of biblical. That's what's interesting, is when I started thinking about this, this fountain of youth... In parallel to the Bible, it's actually a pretty biblical principle. Check this out. There's this old story in John 4, only a chapter before where we were just at. Jesus is traveling back, and he stops at this well because he's tired. It says he's been walking for a long time, and he stops at this well. And this Samaritan woman sits down. Quick backstory for you because I've probably read a little bit more on this stuff than you have, so, so I can share it with you. Jewish men would never talk to a Samaritan person. They considered them low class. They would not talk to them. For a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman would be like breaking every rule in the book for a Jew. So he's sitting there, and the Samaritan woman sits down. And this is what it says, starting in verse 7 of John 4. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said... To Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestors Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals have enjoyed? 
And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus describes this water, this living water, water of life. And he says that those people who take this will never be thirsty again. Not only that, but they're going to inherit eternal life. When he's talking to this woman, what's really interesting is kind of an exchange goes back. He kind of confronts her with a situation in her life. He says, you know what? Go and get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. He says, you've been living with three or four different men throughout your life and you've never taken a husband. He kind of meets her where he's at and he's like, I understand where you've been. He meets her with where she's, the, the reality of her situation. And she asks him some questions about God because she's thinking, this guy must be smart. And actually in John 4, 25 through 26, this is what the woman says to him. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. This obviously kind of blows this woman's mind a little bit. She knows that this Messiah is supposed to come and explain everything, and he says, you're standing here talking to him. It's me. So she actually ends up running off. She goes tells all the people in town about this guy. He says, he came, he told me everything about myself. He knows my life. How could this man be the Messiah? And they all run out, and they actually convince Jesus to stick around in town for a couple of days and talk to him. And as he does, these people... (laughs) It's all good, buddy. Don't worry about it. These people actually begin to understand what Jesus is talking about, about this water of life. And it says this in John 4, 42. They said this to the woman. These are the, these are the townspeople. Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. These people, after spending a few days with them, you guys don't have to worry about it. You can just leave it there. You might want to move over a little bit so you don't sit on glass, though, Sam. That'd be good. (laughs) Um, But these people spend a few days with Jesus, and after a few days, they get it. They say, this man is the Savior of the world, and he explains it so clearly. But this is what Jesus says, if we break it all down, out of this story. He says, believe it or not, There is a fountain of youth. It's true. There's a fountain of youth, but the problem is us humans have got it messed up. We think that to find and discover this fountain, it's going to be a place in which, which we put physical water inside of our physical stomachs, and that will bring us eternal life. But Jesus says it's not that way. You humans are thinking of it on way too small of a level. He says, it's about you discovering me. He says, because I am living water. And he says, putting the discovery of who I am, Jesus Christ, in your spiritual heart. And that will give you life springing up within you, joy, and eternal life. He says, you guys just, you, you thought of it way too ground level. It's bigger than that. He says, by understanding who Jesus is and filling our hearts with us, we can obtain eternal life, just as that fountain of youth would. He says it again really plainly, actually, in John 17, 3. Just a few chapters later, he says this again, And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus, the one you sent to earth. Towards the end of this movie, um, there's a really interesting standoff that happens. They find the fountain of youth. And all three kind of arrive at the exact same time. I'm sure that makes sense. It's not like Hollywood would have embellished something like that, right? No matter what corner of the earth you come from, you all meet at one time. But they all meet there, and the English, the Spanish, and uh, the pirates are all there at this fountain of youth. And during it, the Spaniard leader says perhaps the most profound and true statement of the entire movie, one that kind of shocked me as I saw it. He says this, You seek in this place what only faith can provide. Only God can grant eternal life, not this pagan water. Very, very true statement. Turns out the Spanish weren't rushing there to inherit eternal life. The Spanish were rushing there because they had faith. And they believed that God was the only one who should bring such a thing and that they were there to defend, basically, and say that this pagan water is, is, is not true. But the question that's, that's begged by this is one that's actually begged inside of the movie. See, the story also, like I said, has the Spaniards and the English who are rushing to the fountain of youth. But along the same line, there's this man, Blackbeard, who's this rough and gruff pirate. If you know about that, actually, that's based on history as well, too. There was actually a real Blackbeard who was a very feared pirate, um, very, very tough. And he was right around that same area right there on Florida, Puerto Rico, and the Caribbean. But what's interesting about it is in the story, he's spurred on by his daughter, who realizing that a prophecy came that his dad would die is fearful that upon his death, the devil's going to come take his pay, right? This man had lived a life of, of dirty deeds done dirt cheap, if you would. You know what I mean? Killing and, and, and pillaging and all these different things. And she realized that when he dies, the devil's going to come collect his due. And that's why she's pushing her dad to go and find this, this source of life because she's thinking if, if, he, if he dies, you know, there's hell to pay. And what's interesting is, is during a... a Exchange. it turns out that she actually has a Christian missionary on board the ship with her for hopes that he could maybe turn her father's soul back around. And Blackbeard, at a very tough moment, asked this Christian missionary, he says, is it true, though, that all souls could be saved, even mine? And he says, yes, all souls, all souls have the opportunity for salvation. Many people, when confronted with the reality of sin, with the reality of the fact that we're racking up debt by the evil that we accomplish here on earth, very, very often when they hear the message of of Jesus, the answer that I get is this, you don't understand all that I've done. I've gotten that time and time again where I've explained Jesus to people, and the response I get is, but you don't understand. You haven't been in my shoes. You haven't done what I've done. You haven't seen what I've seen you don't understand the debt that I have. A lot of people come at that point when they finally realize the fact that Jesus had a, I mean, God and, and had a set of rules, basically, that, that set up for the universe. And when we step outside of those that we're racking up sin, debt, and the payment at the end of life is, is death, an eternal death. But then, as the Bible says in, in Romans 6.23, it says those wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It says that, that God sent his son Jesus to come to earth. He lived a perfect life, and then he couldn't die because he didn't have sin. So in order to die, it says that he took all of our sin across the world, and he took that sin to the cross and died for it, to pay for it. Basically saying that all that debt that you've been racking up, 
He took a big old stamp and marked paid on it and said, it's taken care of. I paid for it with my death, with my death. And all you have to do is believe in me and trust me. That thing he just said where he says, believing in God, trusting him, and trusting in the one who sent Jesus Christ. And he says, then you can have eternal life. But can anyone be saved? Does that really include everyone? It does. Second Peter 3.9, short verse, but it says volumes. It says this, speaking of God, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Those two words, anyone and everyone, speak volumes. Who does he not want to be destroyed? Anyone. Who does he want to repent? Everyone. It's all-inclusive. There is no except this person, except that person, except those people. Anyone and everyone no matter what the past has been, no matter how dirty the sins were, no matter how much the life was corrupted, the message of Jesus is that if you turn from that and say, that's not the life I want anymore, what I want is a life with God, that salvation is yours. No one is too far away. No one is too far lost. No one is too dirty of a sinner to be able to turn to God and achieve eternal life. We see throughout the Bible this, God never used perfect people, except for Jesus. He used people who were changed sinners, thieves, murderers, adulterers, liars, cowards, people just like you and me. Average people who really, man, they were messed up. And we see in this movie, in the Pirates of the Caribbean, we, we see this longing and this expediency to reach the fountain of youth to find eternal life. And I, I really believe that a lot of people here on earth really were in the same exact gamble. We're in the same exact place. Most of the time what we do is, is we, we block it out with all the things we have in our life and with all the fun. And we, we, play the, we play the fool, as it said in that earlier verse that I shared with you where the fool just goes on thinking and laughing. But sooner or later, our minds and our reasoning catch up with us and we realize someday this life will pass. And where then does my soul go? What happens to me after my death? And when that starts to happen in your mind, it's not indication that you're morbid or that you're weird. It's indication that you're getting smart. And you're starting to realize that you do only have a certain span of life here on earth. This search for the waters of healing, the fountain of youth, it's summed up inside of Jesus Christ. If he was here in this movie if he could meet Captain Jack Sparrow, if he could meet uh, Blackbeard or these people, he would explain to them that these waters won't accomplish it. You can't drink in a physical water and achieve eternal life. But he says what you can do is you can take inside yourself me. He says, I paid for that stuff. So if you take in me into your heart, basically meaning that we, we start trusting Jesus, we start trusting Jesus with our lives, he says, then, then you'll be given life, eternal life. At the end of the movie, Captain Jack says uh, an interesting line, one of the very last lines in the movie. And he says this to his, his first mate, Gibbs. It's better not to know your last moment, Gibbs. And I find that that's really true. I think if most of us knew our last moment, really we'd still just waste our life anyway. If we knew that it was five years from now or 50 years from now, we'd probably still just waste all that time anyway. But it brings about a great question, and it's this. 
None of us know when, so you need to know where. None of us know when that day will come, your last day. But you need to know where your soul is going when that last day comes. That's the reality. You're not going to find out when your last day is. But can you meet that day with courage, knowing that the next day your soul is well taken care of? And not being, to reference Blackbeard, with the devil because there's hell to pay. I want to invite you to do this this morning. If you guys would like to just close your eyes, bow your heads. This is to give honor to the other people around you, just so they can respond any way they'd like to this morning. But I want to give you this. If this morning this makes sense to you and you realize this, okay, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I have been thinking about what happens in, in, after this day. What happens if, if I was to pass on to eternity? Do I have security that I know that? I'm going to spend eternity in a, in, a, in a great place and not an evil place, in a place with God and not with, with trouble and torture. That picture this morning, if it's on your heart and you'd say this, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I need to start a relationship with Jesus because I need that living water. If that's you this morning, do something really simple for me. Raise your hand, lift your eyes, and catch my eyes so I can see who you are, okay? I see you. I see you too. Anyone else this morning? You guys can put your hands down. If there's anyone else this morning who says, listen, that's me. I need that fountain of youth. I need that eternal water. Just raise your hand. Lift up your eyes. Let me see your eyes. I got you. Yep. I see you too. Anyone else? Okay, this morning, go ahead. Just keep your head, your, your head bowed and your eyes closed. We're going to pray with these two that this morning, they want to start a relationship with Jesus. And it's a really simple prayer. If you guys just want to repeat after me, but it's just a simple prayer of starting a relationship with Jesus, okay? Everyone repeat after me if you'd like to follow with these. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying in my place to pay my debt. Please come into my heart. Be my living water. Heal me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, this morning, two more souls just decided to change their direction, and I want to join with them. Go ahead and let's give a round of applause. For you guys who this morning said that that's you and you want to seek after, you seek after God, change the, the direction of your, your eternity, here's the deal. There's going to be a lot that's going to come at you this week. People are going to say, was that really real? Did that really do something? It did. What it takes is a little bit of time. Go grab a Bible. Grab, start reading in the Word, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read about Jesus. But what's going to happen is, is you're going to start to slowly realize the fact that Jesus is in your life, and he's changing you from the inside out.